0: Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. President Biden's address to a joint session of Congress last week was sparsely attended, not due to lack of interest in his multi-trillion dollar spending plans, but continued social distancing from the pandemic, even in the halls of Congress. And now the sales job to the American people begins. But Congress has its own ideas on spending, taxes, and what even is infrastructure. So, I'm so pleased to be joined by my colleagues here at the firm today to help break it all down. Democrat David Thomas, Republican Bruce Melman. Bruce, DT, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you, Dean. It's a pleasure to be back.
1: Always great to be uh, 2021 20, in 21 minutes, Dino.
0: Always. DT, I'm going to start with you. The president had a big joint address to Congress a week ago, big in the sense of his uh, spending plans, not so big in terms of the audience, but how many trillions of dollars will it take to bring America into the 21st century? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did your grandfather ask FDR the same question on how to get out of the depression? Come on, Hanson. <laughs> uh, look, I think it was a, a great speech, and it's amazing to me, sort of Joe Biden in full—a guy we've known for so long, who's been in the Senate almost my, you know, my entire life, but continues to surprise the. Past two Democratic presidents before him, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, both known as these amazing orators. And yet Joe Biden can come in and give a really sort of compelling speech here where he both lays out a plan, calls the American people to action, and I I think shows both uh, empathy and inspiration. That's uh, not something that I would have uh, expected out of a President Biden had you asked me that a year ago. But I think he is rising to the occasion. He's got plans to move forward. It's big. It's ambitious. And he you know, laid it out for the first time. And uh, on top of that, I would be remiss if I didn't note how fantastic it was to have both Vice President Harris and Speaker Pelosi behind him, an historic moment in the House of Representatives chamber, uh, having two women in those seats, uh, long held by old guys.
1: You know, the thing about it to me, Dean and DT, is is less that this was some Gettysburg address. To me, the key, the genius here for the team Biden is they understand how misunderestimated he was. And so as a result, his hitting the normal bar, both in contrast to Trump and in contrast to, you know, Biden's own record as he described himself, a gaff machine, he keeps clearing what is kind of normal height bars and everybody thinks, wow, that's incredible. Uh, The other thing about Biden that's fascinating is we all, including the three of us, misunderestimated underestimated him, presuming he was what he was selling. He sold himself as a moderate, transitional, get-along, Uncle Joe, you can trust him. That's not who's here. He is looking to be transformational. And all of us thought his ambition was to be a successful, moderate president. That's not right. His ambition is to be a great American president, you know, one uh, who goes down in history
0: as transformational. And how many trillions of dollars does that transformation take? <laughs>
1: uh, as, may, as many as it takes is what I believe their plan is. You know, it's interesting because DT also talked about the state of the economy. You know, we're let's be honest, we're not in a Great Depression now. You know, the FDR analogy might have been apt a year ago, but Joe Biden inherited an economy very much on the mend. What he's investing in, if we're honest, isn't The short-term recession risk, it's long-term transformational, it's safety net repair. Big goals that the Democratic Party had, but frankly, the Democratic Party had these same goals regardless of whether we were coming out of a pandemic. The pandemic just creates the opportunity to move them.
0: The American economy grew at over 6% last quarter. That's like China mid-2000s levels of
2: growth. I'll say this, Dean, I think Bruce might be selling President Biden short again here. In that, if you recall when he came in, I think one of the reasons that the economy is starting to take off like a rocket ship is because it is feeling like the pandemic is finally starting to uh, get under a little bit of control here in the country here. The rate of vaccination, shots in arms going up, numbers dropping here, that gives people the confidence to start to reengage again. I think that, as much as anything else, really does give President Biden the, the wind in his sails to take on these bigger challenges.
0: I'll just make, you know, sort of two points here. You look at what's happening in commodities markets, so much money in the system, the price of corn, the price of lumber, the price of steel. If the definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods, I really fear what's going on here when when you're going to in- inject trillions. Uh, more dollars into the american system
1: inkson are you doing your job are you trading orange juice futures these days (laughs) (laughs) looking good (laughs) billy ray
0: (laughs) just remember bruce duke and duke always gets their commission (laughs) well dt is that what the next 100 days is going to be the first 100 was vaccine response he's made the proposal and now he's going to sell it He's got plans. Uh, He's got plans. He's laid them out. But what's his plan to get it through Congress? Most closely divided House uh, in the last many decades, an evenly split Senate with Joe Manchin holding the veto card. It
2: won't be as closely divided as it was even last week when Troy Carter is sworn in from uh, Louisiana replacing Cedric Richmond. So Nancy Pelosi has another vote on her side here. Uh, Yes, it remains incredibly uh, tight. And I do think that the one thing that Bruce alluded to is the Biden administration's discipline and staying sort of focused on the task at hand here. The task at hand is to move this uh, infrastructure package and the American Families Plan. That's what they are looking to do. The president, we have now understand, is going to be meeting with uh, leaders next week on a bipartisan basis to continue to see if there is room for a bipartisan deal here. I think if you ask The Democratic leadership up on the Hill, they'll say, don't spend too much time there because they don't think it's going to happen. So at some point, I think we do revert more to a reconciliation uh, process and we can reboot your uh, podcast uh, that so eloquently explains what reconciliation is again, Dean. But that's going to be the goal between now and really, I think, the rest of the summer. Can they push this process to an end here, get another bill to the president's desk? His numbers remain high. And I think a lot of what they're talking about remains generally popular with the American public. So they don't have a lot of margin for error, but I think it's uh, within the uh, realm of the possible.
1: And it is fascinating that a famously undisciplined politician who's 70 freaking eight years old has recognized that all he's got to do to really move stuff is to have a discipline he never had. That's, you know, I I'm, I feel like I'm too old to learn lots of things and I'm, uh, I'm a lot younger than that. I give them a lot of credit for having the recognition of Basically, the George Costanza epiphany moment. Do the opposite of everything you've always done, and boom, it's all working out.
0: The less generous interpretation is that he is only capable of reading the teleprompter at this point in life.
2: Oh, I think, I think the lesson here is you can teach an old dog new tricks, and that is uh, also good news for Major
0: Biden.
1: He's having a chicken sandwich on white with mayo.
0: Well, DT, you brought up the House elections. Uh, It's probably not too early to start talking about the 22 midterms. Susan Wright, the widow of the late Representative Ron Wright in Texas, not only advanced in the uh, primary for the Texas 6th Congressional District, she advanced with another Republican. This is a swingish district. Is the DCCC playing here?
2: The DCCC would tell you that they're playing everywhere. Uh, I'm not so sure how much they'll be investing in uh, that seat now, Dean. Look, I th- I've been thinking a lot about this over the weekend here. And I think the um, the challenge for the Democrats going forward are, are a couple things. One is obviously history is not on your side. Presidents in their first midterm elections tend to lose seats. Democratic presidents in their first midterm tend to lose a lot of seats. That's not such good news for President Biden. Number two is you see a lot of the seats that are now opening up, retirements, that's going to be, uh, these are hard seats for Democrats to hold here. Sherry Bustos, you know, a real rising star within the House Democratic Caucus, former chair of the DCCC, announced she is uh, going to be retiring from Congress uh, this year, that she's ready to take on some new challenges. That's a tough seat for Dems to hang on to. You look down in Florida, you uh, see a lot of uh, really talented members of Congress now considering state run, uh, Democratic members of Congress here who may be diving into a Senate race against Marco Rubio or into a governor's uh, race against uh, Governor DeSantis. You got to hold those seats, too. It is going to be a, uh, a tough slog over the next 18 months for the House Dems to, to hang on to it. I think it's a big challenge for those folks down on South Capitol Street.
0: Bruce, for all the reasons DT laid out, Republicans only have to flip six seats uh, to take the speaker's gavel back. To not do so in the 22 midterms would be to soil the sheets. In an epic fail, right or wrong?
1: 100% right. Uh, Republicans absolutely should take back the House. DT failed to mention, I think, that the redistricting changes are going to net the Republicans 5 to 10 seats. Anyway, that should be all they need to say nothing of, by 2022, we will have spent multiple trillions more. We will probably have raised taxes, multiple trillions of dollars. You know, we may or may not continue to have mask mandates for people walking alone on the beach, you know, with nobody within a thousand feet of them. The likelihood of backlash against one, let alone so many elements of where we're going to find ourselves, history says there's no way the Dems hold the house.
2: But let me let me add this, because I I did neglect to mention redistricting, which maybe I'm just trying to block that out of my brain. (laughs) Another another thing we have to worry about on my side of the aisle. Uh, But I I, I do think uh, this it's early in the cycle, but the president has a big win under his belt. You look at the vaccine uh, or coronavirus situation getting more under control. If the economy continues to boom like this, the Democrats have something to talk about. And they will, uh, they being the Democrats, being President Biden, will have got this done likely with not one vote of one Republican in the House or Senate. These are plans that are popular with the American people. Joe Biden remains popular right now here. If you want something to run on, that's a pretty good thing to have to run on in a midterm.
1: Yeah, your old boss had accomplishments to run on in 1994, and the economy was recovering as it was at the end of George H.W. Bush, though Clinton took credit for it, and you lost the House and you lost the Senate. Obama had a whole bunch of accomplishments, and to give him credit, President Obama staunched the bleeding of the great financial crisis when he really did enter office with a question mark about whether we were going to be in another Great Depression. He lost the House. Donald Trump had a huge accomplishment in the 2017 tax cut, which cut everybody's taxes. The economy was cooking in 2018 and he lost the house. Uh, Good luck, my friend.
2: Well, but here's another thing that uh, you neglect to mention here is the ongoing sort of direction of the Republican Party. It's still a wholly owned subsidiary of President Trump here. We may be looking at uh, Liz Cheney. I've worked for Al Gore for (laughs) seven of his eight years as (laughs) vice president and I feel bad for a Cheney. It's like blowing my mind. She may lose her leadership position this week because she is standing up for what is right. The Republicans are continuing to have to front for the big lie. And how many of them are willing to stand up and say, if I'm a reporter, I ask every Republican, did Joe Biden win the election? And watch the number of Republicans stumble on this. That is a real challenge for the party going forward here and how they manage that. Democrats are united. They like what Joe Biden is doing. You can say it's because we're spending a lot of money. But guess what? Like we, They are pushing through policies that they like. The internal civil war that you've been itching for between AOC and, and the mods, that hasn't happened. What has happened is you've got a Republican Party that is more responsible to the uh, residents of Mar-a-Lago than the residents of the country.
0: Bruce, but- It's not a wholly owned subsidiary, to DT's point. I would say the the Trump forces are a majority shareholder in this corporation, but a large majority shareholder. But Liz Cheney proves the point. And what is, Bruce, what's she up to? Because we we talk about the 22 midterms. Let's presume it goes the Republicans' way. There's going to be a fight for that speaker's gavel. And Liz Cheney seems to be setting herself up in opposition, not only to President Trump, but to Uh, Kevin McCarthy.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, That's how I put myself to bed at night as well. The reality sure feels (laughs) to me, though, that the the Cheney traditional conservative non-Trump wing is holed up at Valley Forge in a really long winter eating our horses. Mitt Romney's getting booed in freaking Utah. I mean, that's not normal. I don't know how long the night will last for those who believe in a more traditional, more Reagan-esque Republican party, but- At the moment, at least, it's very clear that if you don't jump the preliminary hurdle of, you know, checking the box that Donald Trump, of course, won a landslide and that he's never told a lie in his life, you have a challenge. That's not a healthy place for a GOP. You know, ultimately, I think the challenge for the Republican Party is, you know, any party long term can't be a cult of personality. It needs to be a party of ideas. And what, what's always frustrating, and I'm an ideas person, I, I like, you know, that's what that's what attracts me to parties and to politics. You know, it's, you see these moments where Marco Rubio wants to be an ideas guy. He wants to, he doesn't want to be a, uh, you know, a, a follow along, but it's pretty hard these days to, to, you know, find the space when the Trump forces continue to possess whatever percent of the base they possess, but enough to, to seemingly... Get you booed out of uh, out of your base uh, having a meeting.
0: And that's what the Republicans are dealing with. But how about what the Democrats are dealing with? Uh, Joe Biden's speech was many things. It checked a lot of uh, liberal priorities. It uh, was bold. It was big. It was high spending. It wasn't woke. And uh, there's a there's a set of politics out there that also brooks no opposition on a lot of matters, mostly cultural Maybe a sort of flip side of what we saw in the rise of the Tea Party on the Republican side. But, Bruce, you did a slide deck, woke capitalism and its discontents. What do you see out there in this new woke culture that is maybe more of a generational thing than anything else? But is this threatening to overtake our politics?
1: Well, it's it's become very front and center in our politics, for sure, like so many other trends it was very much accelerated by, you know, Donald Trump's intentional and aggressive anti-political correctness. If you asked, I, I think if you on a variety of questions polled, whether Americans broadly prefer more political correctness or less political correctness on a lot of issues, you'd probably find less. Now, Trump would turn it up to 11 and Americans don't like, you know, hostile, overtly divisive and racist language but americans also don't like the kind of sanctimonious contemptuous approach to to you know those who who have differences of opinion where you end up running out the new york times opinion editor i think there is a risk of woke fatigue on the dem side without a doubt it is the central worldview of academic elites and and you know many in media i think your average americans won't sign up unless the alternative is the kind of, you know, the Donald Trump coming down the escalator and saying Mexicans are rapists, and then Americans aren't signing up for that. But I think there is a risk on the Dem side that they interpret the reaction against Trump to mean that there is an embrace of political correctness that I'm not certain there is.
0: DT, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, a black man, gave the Republican response to President Biden's joint address and some of the reaction from the left, whether you call it woke or, or what have you, really just seemed to go over the edge. And some Democrats actually called it out uh, as out of bounds. Is that the biggest challenge intra-democratic party?
2: I'm not sure that's the biggest challenge in the intra-democratic party here. I think uh, one thing I'll, I'll keep in mind, if I ever work in, in politics again here, uh, or working for somebody who's in politics to never accept the uh, responsibility to give the response to the State of the Union address. I think Tim Scott pretty much guaranteed he's not going anywhere or he's going to follow in the great uh, footsteps of, uh, let's say, Bobby Jindal or Marco Rubio, (laughs) for that matter. As soon as he drank that uh, uh, glass of water, things seemed to go downhill. I remember when Fred Thompson gave it back in the day and you could actually see the teleprompter in the window behind him as he was speaking. That is not a good assignment for anybody. Nobody comes off looking uh, good in that uh, kind of address.
1: Artful dodge, DT, but the fact of the matter is Scott gave a great speech. He did. And I give a lot of credit to several of the CBC members who rallied to his defense when he was attacked for uh, for offering a, a very fair and reasonable worldview.
0: It's always a challenge to respond to the President of the United States after he's just delivered an address in the House chamber. But uh, I thought Tim Scott pulled it off much better than Rupio and way better than than Bobby Jindal. Uh, which, to give which, Rubio
1: a little credit, I loved uh, in advance when he was asked, do you have any advice for Tim Scott? And his advice was, yeah, drink some water first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wasn't Jindal in the foyer of the governor's mansion, the, the staircase behind him or something? It was uh, it was not not great staging. Well, I think the other biggest issue that may, that may play a factor in the 22 midterms, and that's this attempted return to some semblance of cultural uh, professional normalcy uh, in American life. I'll tell a real quick story. I'm a baseball fan. I was at Nats Park uh, yesterday where Max Scherzer pitched a complete game, and it was a real gym. Four people in my section got tossed for mass violations, including one elderly couple. The man was having trouble breathing. It was near 90 degrees. But uh, that cut no ice with the Nats ushers or the Metropolitan Police Department who took them to the gates is this going to continue the, to wear the mask, to not wear the mask inside, outside? Is this just going to break down along all the familiar cultural partisan lines as we try to return to normal? Or are things, at least as COVID protocols go, going to gonna return to 2019? I hope we return to 2019. That seems like a long way off to me, Dean. I, I
2: think this is going to go in fits and starts here. And it's... Uh, I hope we don't go back to the the, the partisan leanings on, on mask wearing and that sort of thing. I, You know, I also think it's just it, people's comfort levels are going to be very different here as we start to open up. On the positive side, look, more and more people are vaccinated every day. It seems like we're trending in the right direction. I think there's greater comfort for people being out and about and and seeing people, which, you know, I know I have desperately missed over the past uh Uh, 14 months here. It is something I am optimistic about. I think we're going to have to sort of slug our way through this to reach comfort level, uh, whether it is going to the office or going to a neighborhood barbecue, going out to your, uh, you know, your favorite restaurant again. All that is, we're so close. I think we're going to be there very soon. I suspect when we tape a month from now, it'll even feel different.
1: You know, and, and you're right, DT, as we get vaccinated you know, for many of us, it, it leads to a whole different level of comfort, as it should, as the science demonstrates it should. You know, it's, Dean, you asked the sort of the political mirror of it, and that's a, a an elderly couple sitting socially distanced, outdoor at a 90-degree baseball game should not get tossed for not wearing masks. I hope we don't turn this into the red shirt and, and you know, this becomes the great Fight, although we're kind of there, and we've sort of been there now. Before we had the vaccines, those who refuse masks as a matter of uh, of social protest were wrong. But the the challenge is that doesn't mean mac- masks are right now forever, and we're gonna have to figure out ways to relax it. You're you're right, D.T. And we know this as as employers, we want to make sure that we create opportunities and safe space for people's level of comfort to return to our office. For people who are parents and maybe don't have the same flexibility to have the flexibility that they need, we're seeing on the Hill, Republicans are eager to have face-to-face meetings. Uh, the more people in the room, the better. Democrats are a little bit slower coming back, but we're, we're going to have to collectively as a society reinvent the new normal. My hope are that things that we discovered over the last year by necessity, maybe uh, th- that are positives that we can reimport and, and, and maintain going forward. Uh, Because I do think there are some, whether they're how you, uh, things you might appreciate as an individual or ways that we all have been doing our jobs that are positive that are going to persist.
0: I'm calling officially on Mayor Bowser to end the mask mandate, at least at Nat's Park. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Thanks, Dean. Dean.